pouring from the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is the erupting Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. Hello, Rob. <laughs> yeah, that starts with an E, not an I. No, there is an erupting with uh, with an I. Is there really? What does that mean? Yeah, there is. I'm starting to run out of IR words. Apparently. I'm, I'm probably going to have to change up my formats. What, is that, what does that word mean? I don't know. Let's talk about it offline. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. How about you? Fairly easily distracted. <laughs> A magpie, look. So welcome, folks, to our Valentine's Day episode. Um, we're gonna <laughs> talk- As we all know, Valentine's Day happens in May, yes. <laughs> all right. So the subject of today's episode was intended to be our Valentine's Day episode. However, a little thing called the cancellation of the Fury of Firestorm interrupted that. Uh, we were all set to record an episode to talk about Mera and Firehawk uh, several a couple months ago, and that happened to be the same day they announced cancellation of my favorite book. So we did a little something else where I think I cursed a lot, but anyway. <laughs> so uh, a bit of ironic the timing though, because this week coming up the, for, the, for those of you who are listening to listen to this as it comes out. So if you're listening to this on Monday, May twentieth, when it comes out, um, this is actually relevant because. This is the week Firestorm gets canceled. This is its last week here on May 22nd will be the final issue. And again, if you are hearing this before May 22nd, I'd like to ask a favor. If you would, um, we are, a group of us are going to be changing our social media avatars of, uh, to this one image of Firestorm by Luke Dobb. You can find it out on Firestorm Fan. I'll be promoting it or just search me through any of the social medias. You'll see it out there. There's this great shot that Luke Dobb drew of Firestorm, and he sort of got his back to the camera, and he sort of slumped over, and he's sighing. Uh, this is how Luke was feeling when the announcement of Firestorm's cancellation came out. And it sort of encapsulates how all of us feel, sort of a, ah, canceled again sort of feeling. So if, if, you're, if you want to partic- uh, participate, please uh, 
from Monday, May 20th through Friday, May 24th, please change your social media icons, uh, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, you know, whatever, RedTube, I don't care. Uh, change your icons. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm embarrassed that I caught that reference. <laughs> change it to that shot of Firestorm. And um, if, if you don't want to do it for five days, I... I totally understand. If you, if you don't want to do it that long, just do it for Wednesday, if you would, Wednesday, May 22nd. And be sure to tweet me or send me a message just so I'm aware I'll see it, and I'm going to try and gather up all the names of the folks that do it. And, and um, let's just send a message out there to DC Comics and to Dan Jurgens. The, the point is not to be nasty and be like, rah, you canceled our comic. It's more like just to say, you know, we're sad the Firestorm's gone, but we really support the character, and we really like him. It's not to start a flame war with anybody. No, it's no, just no. To it's say, to indicate that we notice that the book yep. is going away. It's, it's, and we're it's, sad about it. Yeah. But, so, and also, uh, there, we're going to have a hashtag uh, of hashtag Firestorm Farewell. So you can use that in some of your social medias as well. So Firestorm getting canceled this week too? What? I mean Aquaman, Aquaman getting canceled this week no, too? No, of course not. Stop it. <laughs> Still one of do DC's you, best-selling books. Do you have an issue this week? I don't actually. I'm, I've gotten try. Are they off track of each other now? Are they back? Uh, I think Aquaman's next week. Okay. Gotcha. This week's Firestorm and Justice League, and then the week after is Aquaman. Yeah, I erroneously promoted Justice League last week. I saw that. Week. I saw that. <laughs> it was a, it was a post from the future. I was like, what does Shag know that I don't? What's going on here? Well, um. Today we are going to talk about Mira and uh, Firehawk. Before we get started, anything on your radar right now, Rob? Not really. Uh, I just want to mention, I guess, just because we're going to be doing some other promoting in a second. Uh, the work continues on my book, Hey Kids Comics, True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack. And I'm going to be making a big announcement about it very soon. So everybody uh, keep your ears out for that. It's going to be fun. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. I'm really dying to read this book. Yes, a lot of people are. I'm very, very excited. It's almost done. I'm, I'm almost done proofing it uh, for the final time, and uh, it's, it's. I think it's really going to make a, a really fun collection of stories. So, uh, and I'm very excited to, 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 to be able to announce soon where you'll be able to get it and how you'll be able to get it and everything else. So, uh, I'm, I'm super, super jazzed about it. So I have a, predict, a prediction for the announcement. It's, it's going to be the James, James Earl Jones is reading the audiobook. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Great, thanks. Thanks for overshooting now. Anything I announce is going to be pretty dull in comparison. <laughs> um, you know, we, might, we, we should probably get this out of the way, folks. Uh, just so we uh, should point out to you that, you know, as we talk about Firestorm, I'm sorry, Firehawk and Mera, there are some awesome trade paperbacks featuring these characters out there. And specifically one that I've got in mind is the trade paperback Firestorm, the Nuclear Man Reborn trade paperback. You can get this through InStock Trades, by the way, who is a sponsor of this podcast. Yay. Which we're very pr- Yay, we're very appreciative of. Now, this is one of the trades uh, I'll be talking about in a little bit, but this is a great one because it really features Firehawk very, very prominently. At this point in the story, she's actually part of the Firestorm Matrix. So you get to see her in uh, in action with Jason Rush quite a bit. This is the one that's uh, it's written by Stuart Moore. It's got Jamal Eigel art. It's really great stuff. And it, Jason Rush Firestorm, as far as I'm concerned, really came into his own here. So again, it's Firestorm the Nuclear Man Reborn. You can find that on InStock Trades. It's currently going for $8.24. That's amazing. It's 45% off because it's normally $14.99. That's a good deal. Uh, on the mirror side of things, InStock Trades has Aquaman Death of a Prince trade paperback, which collects uh, the Avenger Comics run 435 through 437, which was the stuff drawn by Mike Grell. 441, nice. four, yeah, 441 by four to 455, uh, which is to me like the classic Aquaman runs. It's by written by various writers like Levitt, Steve Skeets, David Michelini, but drawn by the great, the great Jim Aparo. 
and Aquaman number 57 to 63, which were really the comics I grew up with as a kid, the Aquaman comics. Uh, normally it's twenty nine ninety nine, but in stock trades has it for sixteen forty nine, which is a tremendous deal. Um, so you should, if you don't have that already, pick it up. It is some great Aquaman comics, and it does feature Mira pretty prominently. You said that's the Death of the Prince trade. Aquaman, Death of a Prince. Cool. Now, if there's anything else you're looking for, folks, you know. We wholeheartedly endorse in-stock trades. It's your best online source for trades, hardcovers, other collected editions, all for up to 45% off, and free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Sweet. Yep. So, uh, now that we've paid the bills, uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, the lights are still on. That's right. <laughs> Rob, uh, you want to take it away and talk about uh, our favorite underwater um, platypus-footed woman? <laughs> I felt like you started that and you didn't know where you were going with it. I really didn't. Yeah. I was trying to, I was going somewhere there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely felt like you were winging it. Uh, anyway, yeah, I was going to do like a, just a, you know, a little brief history of Mirror. We'll talk about her, uh, after that, but she basically, her first appearance was in Aquaman number 11 from, uh, September, cover dated September, 1963. She's a creation of uh, the writer, Jack Miller and the great Nick Cardi. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you think about it, Aquaman number 11, uh, the Silver Age Aquaman was only around, like, about four years uh, before Mira came into the picture. So, I mean, is you know, when I grew up reading Aquaman, she was always part of it. You know, she's, she's, she's been around for 50 years. Um, but anyway, she... Good lo- Really? Yeah. Well, 1963, that's 50 years. She looks great for 50. She sure does. So, anyway, she first appeared in Aquaman number 11 in a story called Doom from Dimension Aqua, where we learn that she is from the planet Dimension Aqua, of course, later renamed Zebel. Um, now, clearly, when she was introduced, she was sort of brought in uh, under the, the idea that she's like a one-off character. But clearly, Jack Miller figured that he was going to use her more because she came back just two months later. Um, and the, the Aquaman at that point was only bi-monthly. So it was, there was all of one issue in between uh, her first appearing and coming back. She came back at number 13. She came back again at number 14. And at the end of number 14, she even jokes about um, proposing, of Aquaman proposing to her. So clearly Jack Miller, you know, had this in mind. She came back at number 16, and by that point she was a regular in the book. And by number 18 of Aquaman, they got married. They Wow. <laughs> so, uh, hey, you know, if I was Aquaman and I – Came across somebody like Mira, I, I wouldn't waste any time either. You got to lock that down. So in number, <laughs> in number, in number eight, get a mirror before Hal Jordan Jordan ruins. Oh her. yeah, you don't want to bring up to the satellite before yeah, because it's between between Hal and Green Arrow. Just, you know. Yeah, it's true. Um, so anyway, they got married in number eighteen, which features uh, if you ever seen the beautiful cover of their wedding, and the whole Justice League is in attendance, which is so sweet, um, and. Um, there's there's a great little bit. One of the things I love about the, the the issue where they got married is, you know, this was in an era in superhero comics where there really was no, at least in DC, no characterization. These these characters really were just sort of you know vehicles for the plot. But in number um, in number eighteen, there's a really kind of a charming sequence where it becomes clear that Mira is here to stay, and Aqualad worries that he's going to get pushed out Aww. of Aquaman, which is like it's only it was only. <laughs> He's right. He, he's completely right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was it was only like two panels, but it was it was very sweet because you're like, wow, this is actually like a little bit of characterization that they're doing here. That yeah, he would be a little worried that all of a sudden his you know his best pal is is going to be married. So um, I feel like that was like the really beginning of developing these characters as people outside of their super heroic daring do. 
Um, now, question related to that. Was Teen Titans out by that point? Yes. Because I really feel like Teen Titans did a good job of, and maybe I'm just totally kidding myself, but as I recall, those early Teen Titans comics tried to do characterization. I mean, I think all of them kind of had the same personality, but they all were that sort of uppity kid kind of personality. That's true. There was a bit of that. There was a bit of uh, of that that idea. So that that's that's true. I'm probably maybe being a little generous to, to Jack Miller, but I think in, in terms of um, of Aquaman, that was yeah. the beginning of it. Um, actually, I'm, you know what? I'm wrong. Teen Titans didn't start until 1965. And this, oh, okay. is, this is 1964 when this is happening. So this is actually a little bit ahead of the curve. So you, maybe you could argue that Aqualad was feeling left out. So he's like, fine, I'll go join a bunch of heroes and screw all of you. <laughs> um, on the cover of Aquaman number 18, we see Robin is there and he's actually standing over by Aqualad. So they were already getting the idea of pairing up you know, the young heroes, I guess. Um, and they said at that point she just became a regular character. She appeared in every single issue. She was almost on the cover of every issue. Um, as drawn by Nick Cardi, you can't beat it. You, you, I mean, look, we all know Shag loves redheads. I love redheads. And and the, the way when she was drawn by Mira, it is just – she is the most gorgeous. She's drawn by Mira? Draw, she draws herself? Me, drawn, by, drawn by Nick Cardi. She is just the most beautiful creature you've ever seen. You know? I mean, she's just unbelievable. Um, there's even an issue. I can't remember which one it is. Oh, it's number 22 where we meet uh, Aqua, Mira's twin sister, Gila. And so there's, there's lots of scenes of Aquaman with, with two Miras, and you're like, okay, yeah. He had to think, could I put this together? No, I guess I can't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't want to ruin our relationship. Um, now, you know, you have to remember this is of when these stories were written in terms of, of the, the sort of politics of the time uh, and how female characters were viewed other than Wonder Woman female characters were viewed as, you know, adjuncts of their male heroes, or they were bought in to do what Mira did in number 23 of Aquaman, which is the birth of Aqua Baby. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's clear that, that, that Jack Miller had this plan from the beginning. Like, let's bring in a wife, and then let's bring in a child. Um, you know, so Mira didn't get a whole lot of time to spend with Aquaman, not as the mother to his child. I mean, they brought in the right. baby, you know, all the five issues later. Now, this is this is pretty groundbreaking stuff because this is 1964. This is before, this is, this is before I think any other superhero had a kid. I mean, well, and, and, they would do it in fantastic four, not that long after this, but I think this is the first hero ever to have a child. It also broke the big trope of the heroes always pursuing the girl and keeping his identity from her, but never gets her. Right, yeah, they open yeah, all that's out the door because he doesn't even really bother having an identity, which is right. Funny. So it's it was very different. I mean, it's a, you know he's one of the few married heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I've said this before on the show. I always thought him and Mira and Hawk Girl and Hawkman would have should have been buddies. I know that that was never written, but I always thought that would have been they 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 seem to be a natural fit together. You know, to, to hang out. Animal Animal Man and Ellen. <laughs> before that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, as of number 20, 23, they bring in Aqua Baby, which, uh, you know, I, I, later on I could see why they wanted to get rid of Aqua Baby because, you know, in the middle of all these adventures, you got Aqua Baby like saying funny, goofy baby things, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like kind of undercuts this, this grim adventure where you've got, you know, a little kid going like, Aqua Daddy do, you know, like, okay, great. <sighs> yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, they wrote themselves into a corner a little bit with that. Uh, but anyway, the adventures with Aquaman and Mira continued on. 
Um, she got a real jump start as of number 40, where Steve Skeets took over the book. And he wrote a long, uh, kind of, you know, an early arc um, for a superhero comic, and it was called The Search for Mira. I, didn't, I don't think it was ever officially called that, but that's what everybody refers it to, where Mira gets kidnapped by some bad dudes, and Aquaman has to go find her, and he searches the seven seas to, to find her. And it was sort of retroactively tied into Justice League, because right around this time, Denny O'Neill took over writing Justice League, and Denny O'Neill seemed to completely forget that Aquaman was a member, because uh, he never appeared in any Denny O'Neill written issue of Justice League. He just did, and there were even issues where, the, like, a bunch of the JLAers would have an issue, you know, have a problem, and they'd say, "Oh boy, we're we're we need help. Let's call in the rest of the Justice League." And they'd say, "Oh look, it's the rest of the Justice League," and Aquaman would not be there. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I, as a kid, I read I read those as back issues later on, and I was like, "What the hell?" You know, and I don't think they've ever said. I don't think they ever said it in the book, but I think readers have retroactively said, "Well, this is when he was searching for Mira." So you could argue uh, he was off searching for Mira, and that's why he doesn't appear in any of the Justice League stories. I don't think Danny O'Neill was being that clever, but I see. So it's it's more of just a, of a retcon explanation. Yeah, a Roy Thomas, in. Roy okay. Thomas level, you know, and it makes sense. I mean, it's, Roy Thomas level. Well, I mean, it's, he was good <laughs> he's at that. A, he's got a rep. He was really good at that. Um, but anyway, the, as of number forty, when Steve Skeets took over, that's when Nick Hardy turned over the art chores to Jim Aparo. And as much as I love Nick Hardy, and I do love Nick Hardy, nobody to me did a better Aquaman than Jim Aparo. And this Search for Mirror storyline is to me some of the greatest Aquaman comics ever done. If if you can believe it, they've never been reprinted. Showcase never got that far. Nope, Showcase has not gotten that far. I don't know if How, they're going to. Will they do them. two Showcases? They, they've done three, and they have really? not, they have not gotten to it yet. They end they end just as they're getting to it. Um. The only place these stories have ever been reprinted was back when Adventure Comics, near the end of its run, became a digest book. And they were just doing nothing but reprints. And they reprinted The Search for Mira. But in terms of a collection, these stories have never been put under two covers, which is criminal because they are fantastic. They're moody. They're kind of film noir-ish. But they have some sci-fi elements. Um, you got um, to write to uh, DC's Collected Editions Department. Seriously, I got to do that, yeah. Um at one point, uh, they brought in a backup strip, Dead Man, which was drawn by Neil Adams, and it ran for a couple of issues in the back of Aquaman. And Steve Skeets tied them together, so you had events that were going on in the Aquaman strip were reflected in the Dead Man strip and back and, and vice versa. Um, so that was, again, very innovative. The covers were still being done by Nick Carty, so you really get the best of both worlds. You get Nick Carty covers, Jim Aparo insides, drawn by Steve Skeets. It's great. And, you know, Mira got a because he was searching for Mira, we got to see her do her do stuff on her own, which was nice. So he really boosted the character a bit in terms of making her uh, a bit of an you know an equal level character in the book, as opposed to just being like his female sidekick. What, what are those issue numbers? The search for Mira. Yeah. Aquaman numbers forty through like around fifty one or fifty two. You know, I need to go back and reread those. I read all those out of order because mm-hmm. it was just whenever I could get my hands on a back issue. So I never sat down and read them in order. I oh, just would read great. them as I got them. So they're it'd be great. like, you know, maybe read 50, then read 47, right, right, and, right. Uh, you know, whatever. Oh, I love them. They're, they are great. Um, around number, I think, I think it's 40 to 52 is the, the run, because number 53 is a completely separate story. The final is, those, I'm sorry, I'm starting. Okay. I keep interrupting you, sorry. <laughs> I trip myself up. Um, Aquaman numbers 53 through 57 
56 are sort of single-issue stories. Number 56 is the final issue of the series, which is, of course, The Creature That Devoured Detroit, one of Shag's favorites. Um, <laughs> uh, and then for a couple of years, Aquaman and Mirror were homeless. She did guest appear in an issue of Justice League. Um, there's, if you look at the cover to Justice League number 88, which is by Neil Adams, she's pictured with the rest of the JLA. And uh, maybe we'll put this, this, this cover up on the Tumblr, Tumblr feed. Uh, th- she looks great with the Justice League. She fits right in. With the JLA, and I always think it was criminal that she was never part of the team because she looks like she belongs there. She really does, um, and it would have been great to, you know, have Aquaman and Mira in the, t- you know, to a married couple on the team. That would have been sweet, but it was not to be. Um, Aquaman came back as a solo feature in the back of Adventure Comics, uh, back when Spectre was the lead feature. It was drawn by Mike Grell, doing some of his earliest comic work. Um, Mira appeared with him there, and then Aquaman took over the book as the main feature as of number 441, drawn by Jim Aparo again, and much like the Search for Mira stories, these are my, probably my single favorite run of Aquaman ever, these adventure comic stories. Um, Mira is a full-on partner, you know, she's, she's a total equal, I mean, DC Comics was still a little slow on the whole character development thing for some of, the, for some of their characters, at least, but I have to think that the women's movement that was so big in the late 60s and early 70s had to play a part in the fact that Mira was boosted up to being not just sort of his wife and mother of his child, where she became really a superhero in her own right, and she had her own powers and, you know, was was powerful all on her own. I have to think that that had to be part of it. Um, unfortunately, this series ends on a grim note because it is in this run that the... Uh, well, we have the death of Aquababy by the hands of Black Mana. And when the Adventure Comics strip, uh, when the Adventure Comics run ended, it dovetailed right back into Aquaman getting his own book again. And that featured, for the first time, Mira getting her own strip. Uh, in the issues number, I think it's like 58 through 60, she has her own backup strip drawn by, uh, not drawn, written by Paul Kupperberg, where she tries to save the life of her child. Uh, unfortunately to no avail. But she got her own strip. She got her own little logo <laughs> and her own backup strip. Um, and it ended just in time for Aquaman number 63, which was the final issue of Aquaman's original series. So it's all very sad. And then she continued to appear with him, of course, throughout their adventures. He ended up back in Adventure Comics for two different stints. Um, their relationship seemed to seemed to be okay and to have survived the death of their child, even through... When they appeared in Action Comics, they were in the back of Action Comics for a while. Um, and then it's at this point writers decided to really start busting them apart over the death of their son. Because in Justice League, right around the time when the JLA Detroit League comes in, we find out that Aquaman and Mira are having a lot of problems. And Mira is upset with Arthur that he is continuing to be a superhero. And she basically leaves him. And it's because she leaves him that he decides to form the f- more fully committed Justice League Detroit. And of course, that worked out so well. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it's really it's really all her fault. Really, is all her fault. It's 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 uh, bitches, man, bitches. Um, <laughs> so, but 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 luckily, uh, around JLA numbers two forty two and two forty three, Mira returns. They the two of them reconcile, and of course, Aquaman, being you know in a completely dick move, uh, quits the Justice League. Uh, after his all his lectures to all of his members about you have to be being fully committed to the team, the minute Mira shows back up, he's like, yeah, I'm out of here. And, 
<laughs> Dude, bros before hoes. Dude, bros before hoes. I never fully, when I was a child, I never fully forgave Jerry Conway for doing that because it made Aquaman seem like such a jerk. It wasn't until later that I got a talk, chance to talk to Jerry that a lot of that was editorial interference because DC was prepping the Aquaman miniseries. And they basically told Jerry, you got to get Aquaman out of the book, like right now. They, uh. they, they gave him very little time to to sort of deal with it. So Aquaman very abruptly quits the league in basically one panel. They fight Amazo, and at the end he's like, you know, now that he says to, to Martian Manhunter, you know, John's, you know, John, basically, now that I have Mira in my life, there's nothing else for me to do but quit the Justice League. Like, what? You know, so. Well, we've talked about it before. You know, if Mira was in our lives, I, we'd never leave the house. I understand. Yes. Well, yes. right. But still. <laughs> you could, considering how depowered the JLA was at the time, I would have been like, let's bring Mira into the league, not me leave the league. And uh, But anyway, that's that's probably a topic for a whole other discussion, maybe of JLA Detroit. Um, right around this time, she got her Who's Who listing in the M issue, of course, which we'll be, we'll be getting to on our sideshow soon enough. Our sideshow. Um <laughs> She's on the cover. Yeah, exactly. She's on the cover of book fifteen on the back cover. I still say she should have been the main character, but okay. Um, drawn by George Perez, looks really beautiful. Um, she didn't appear again until the next Aquaman miniseries. She well, she appeared in the the, the, the Posner Hamilton miniseries, but briefly. She returned in the miniseries, the nineteen eighty nine miniseries by Keith Giffen and Robert Lauren Fleming and Kurt Swan. And this is where things start to go kind of wrong. Um, yeah, you might say. Because in this series, she is, she's is she gone insane. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean it literally. She is a screaming nut job who was trying to kill Aquaman over the death of their son. And I never understood this story because it always just seemed like, didn't this happen a bunch of years ago? Like, why is this coming up now? And they, Mira is not a character in this series. She's just a plot device. She's this screaming monster who is ruining Aquaman's life. And it's just, to me, this is a really low ebb for this character. For, for, for Aquaman in general and for Mira in specific, because she's just you know, you're just there's, there's nothing to her that you would think positively of. She's just this terrible person trying to murder Aquaman. Um, so there's that. Um. <laughs> and, and I was becoming a really big Aquaman fan around that time. I mean, I really already, I already was, but I was really collecting all the back issues at that point. And so it's like, unfortunately, that's kind of where my perception of Mera was for a Ooh, long time. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, she's that crazy woman that you used to be with. That's yeah. how I perceived her for a long time. Yeah, and I, I'm not I'm not alleging, and I'm not going to allege that it's like a sexist point of view, because it's not, but it is a little to me a, a little unfortunate and that the, you know the main woman in his life is written this way as a sort of like this this anchor who's dragging him down who's always giving him problems i i, I to me I, I read that series at the time and i was like i don't recognize this character you know this is not the mirror that i'm familiar with i know that they said she was driven crazy but it just seems i don't know it, it left a bad taste in my mouth um peter david brought her back in his series later on um the two of them were basically split up at that point um and Aquaman was in a relationship with Dolphin, which Mira didn't take too well to, of course. Um, you gotta say, say this about Aquaman, he's got good taste. I was gonna say, I mean, if you gotta choose between Mira and Dolphin, there are, worse pro- yeah. 
there are worse problems to have. Yeah, a definitive no-lose situation there. Um, he eventually brought her back to where they were together again. And at that, they've basically been together ever since through all the other iterations. Eric Larson kept her in the book. Jurgens kept her in the book when he did his really nice run. And uh, she was in the, the, the later series, the Volume 7, drawn by various people like uh, uh, John Arcudi and um, – oh, I'm blanking out on his name now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she was in, she was a, a regular character in the seventh series and she actually played a prominent role in Sword of Atlantis. When Arthur mm-hmm. is killed, she's the one who sort of guides the new Aquaman to his life as, as, a, as the new king of the seven seas. Um, and it's, it's right around here that, uh, Blackest Night kicks in. And of course, under Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns is clearly a fan of Mira. Because under him, he boosted her to, I would say, A-level status. He made her one of the main characters of Blackest Night. He made her a complete badass. She was she was nailing zombies with the trident left and right. Um, he he really, I mean, if there's any, no one did more for this character than Jeff Johns. I think since Jack Miller who created her. Um, he turned her into a full, full-fledged superhero, totally on her own. And... One, it was one of the big hooks of Blackest Night was we got to get these two back together. We got to get we got to bring Aquaman back to life, and so these two of the two of them can be together. And that's of course what they did in Brightest Day, and then in the following subsequent New Fifty Two series. You know, real quick, I don't before we leave Blackest Night. I think one of the good things Blackest Night did for her was it gave her a chance to star non Aquaman Shadow. Absolutely, because she was out there, you know, on her own. Being a badass, and she got to be. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, look, it's Aquaman's wife. There was, or I'm looking for Aquaman, or I have to help Aquaman. None of that was there. It was just her being a hero, helping the Justice League. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was at the Justice League headquarters with um, Jason Rush, Firestorm at right, that point. They, right, they right. kind of bonded even, and uh, it really gave. I, I remember just this explosion across the social medias of all these female readers who came forward and said, "Mara is an awesome hero," and it was like, "Where did this come from?" Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. How awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, before this, you never saw like any Mira cosplay at conventions. Yeah, and then post true. Blackest Night, you see it all the time. And so, yep. yeah, he really Jeff Johns just plucked her out of not obscurity, but like you know, I would say like B or C level status, and made her to me one of the the prominent DC superheroines. I mean, for the most part now, when the, if somebody does like a collage or you know a group shot of all the DC. Heroines. She's gonna. She's either gonna be there, or if she's not, she's definitely noticed by her absence. She is up there with Wonder Woman and Batgirl and Supergirl and Hawkgirl and Hawkwoman and Power Girl. She is. He absolutely done everything for her. And so now, of course, she's in the new Fifty Two series. She is a completely equal character. She got her own sort of solo issue, number six, as which we covered on the Fire and Water podcast a, a while ago. Um, and and you know, I, as a kid. I always, I mean, first of all, I knew I liked Mira. I didn't actually know why I liked Mira when I was a kid. <laughs> I, think the same reason, I think the same reason I knew I, knew I liked Miss Tessmacher from the Superman movie. It's like, I like her. Don't know why, but I do. Um, but it also, it, to me, it, it, it gave Aquaman a different dynamic other than Hawkman and Hawkgirl that was really unique was that he had, he was a superhero who was married, had a family, but he had a superhero wife. She wasn't, Iris Allen or wasn't Lois Lane, somebody who was like kind of like telling him to stop being a superhero or whatever or that kind of stuff or trying to find out a secret identity, as you pointed out earlier. 
she was a full-fledged hero on her own right, and they could go on adventures together. And who wouldn't want that? You know, I mean, every, superhero comics tap into the the, 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 the childhood uh, desire to have adventure and to have fun and do interesting things. And you're not going to be able to do any of this stuff as a kid. You know, you're just sitting in front of the TV or being outside. You're not going to run into, like, crazy monsters and fight them. But you want to do that. That's the part of, you know, the, the lizard part of your brain wants to do that. But here in Aquaman, he's like, and you get to have a companion while you're doing it. That's the best of both worlds. You know, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Mira has always been represented in, like, the, well, not always, I should say, but in the, in the outside comic books. She was a regular character in the Filmation show. Um, she was, you know, Heron Aqualad were part of the part of the show. She never appeared in Super Friends, sadly. Um, but she did appear in the Filmation show, and of course, she played a fairly large role in Batman Brave and the Bold, voiced by Serena Irwin, um, where she got to be, you know, she didn't appear in as many episodes as Aquaman did, but any time you went into Atlantis or anything like that, she was along for the ride. And in one case, literally, in the Aquaman, in the episode Aquaman's Outrageous Adventure, where Aquaman and Mira and their son go on a, uh, go on a uh, long car ride across America. So, uh, that thing is so freaking hilarious. It's a great episode. It's a great, my favorite moment of Aquaman from that series. But uh, but it said basically in the last couple of years, DC and Jeff Johns and everyone else has promoted her to to being a full on level character, and I'm thrilled about that. I, I'm I, I wouldn't want to see a solo Mira book because it would necessarily would take her out of Aquaman, but I would love to see her get her own backup strip or something. You know, I mean, we keep hearing about the Paul Pelletieri's having problem with deadlines. So I would love it if they did like a five, six page mirror backup strip where she gets her own solo thing to do. I think that would be awesome. And she could do it. She could totally sell it. I'll tell you where I want her. Justice League without Aquaman. Not that I want Aquaman to say out of the Justice League. Don't, don't read that the wrong way. But I'd like to see her as part of the Justice League without Aquaman around. That'd be a neat um, idea. Yeah. Just to give her a chance to be part of a team. That's not water based. Yeah. You know, give her give her something different to show that she can stand her on her own. You know, maybe put her in Justice League of America. You know, that other team or something because he's not on that team; he's on the other one. I don't know. That would put them at odds ultimately. But <laughs> uh, well, I mean, be good to have him. You know, that you know, it'd work as a plot device. But you know, I think she would be great. You know, if in the Justice League. And well, I'm going to say I'll, I'll just I'll, I'm going to say the same thing about Firehawk later. I think both of them are interesting enough characters that they could handle themselves in the Justice League without their, um, you know, their other half. Right. Well, I mean, while Aquaman is off doing his Atlantis-y stuff, he's basically out of Justice League. So why not bring Mira in there? That would be great. I think that's... I, I would love to see that. I'd anything that keeps her as a regular part of his universe is a good idea to me. And, and you know, I always thought the character had a lot more potential, and, you know, I thought I was under a proven right because... When Jeff Johns gave her a chance to shine, people really took to her. People really, really took to her, and she would be—I said—I think she'd be, she would be great in Justice League by herself. I think that's a, that's a really good idea. So let's talk about the feet. Okay. <laughs> Tell people about the feet. Okay. Well, when she first appeared, she had flipper feet, and uh, <laughs> um, they've moved throughout the '60s and the '70s. They kept the flipper feet, and even when she was on dry land, they kind of showed them, and they had to just. They had to kind of walk, sort of um, dance around them a little as to why she would walk around like that. Kind of like how you never saw R2-D2 go down steps. He just, he was just all of a sudden in rooms. You're like, okay, he just got there. Um, <laughs> by the time they got to the, uh, that 
miniseries, the the one I mentioned by Giffen and Fleming. They I don't think she wears them in there, and then by the time she was brought back in Peter David's book, she doesn't have them at all. So then they've just they've they've pretty much gotten rid of them. I think they show up every so often. Somebody did, will show them with her, but did they ever show her? Because her her costume is just like a, a green bodysuit one right, piece kind right. of thing. Did they ever show her without the green bodysuit that would indicate that whether maybe she was wearing a flipper or her yes. feet was actually shaped like a flipper? Yes. No. 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 There were there were issues of Aquaman where you see her with like bare feet and she's got regular feet. So the flipper. She had regular feet. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. So the flipper was always just part of the suit. The flipper is part of the suit. She doesn't actually have flipper feet. <laughs> see, I never knew that. I yes. just thought she had flippers. Nope. No, 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 no. Okay. She's got, she's got, got regular feet. Um, <laughs> um, Sorry, it's it's really far from puffy sleeves. I mean, there's just certain it's, things it's, you it's have it's to gotta, cover. Got to cover them. Um, I guess, and I, I already gone on long enough. The one thing I guess I will end with is if they ever did an Aquaman movie, my choice to play Mira would be Jessica Chastain from Zero Dark Thirty. There, she would be my choice. Don't know who that is. I'll have to look okay. that up. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, with that, folks, I think we're going to go to break. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about uh, everyone's favorite nuclear cutie, Firehawk. That's right. Yeah. Uh, In the break, we're going to hear a little clip from the Curries of Atlantis. And then we're going to get a little shout out from Mira herself. So enjoy that. Woo! Ah, there you are. Evildoers, here I come. Arthur! Don't wait up for me, beautiful queen. Where are you going, dear? Uh, it's Tuesday night, so... Aren't you forgetting something? I don't think so. Gloves, boots, utility belt, trident... Our anniversary? Uh, no, of course not. It's going to be outrageous. What do you have planned? Oh, uh, lots of things. I wonder who that could be. Ahoy, Bat Buddy! What brings you here? On my anniversary! It's Tuesday, crime fighting night. You told me to... Stop by to say hello! Well, hello! And goodbye! My beautiful coral flower, you know I only go crime fighting in order to make the seven seas safe for you and our son. You want to try another one? Oh, please forgive me, my queen. I may have no head for dates, but in my heart, there's only you. Hey, this is Serena Irwin, the voice of Mira. And you're listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. And we're back. And that was so cool. That, so that was really Serena? That really was her. She, she was oh. nice enough to record that for us. And she recorded it back when we were going to do, as we talked about, it for Valentine's Day. So I've been sitting on it all this time. And I've been dying <laughs> to use it because she was so fun as Mira. And she's such a sweetheart. She's such a nice person. And uh, so I was it, – it just – it makes me very happy to hear her say our show, <laughs> out of com- hearing that coming out of her voice. Awesome. Very cool. Well, folks, uh, we are next going to talk about Firehawk, who in her secret identity is Lorraine Riley. And I am mentioning that specifically because there is – in the New 52, there's another version of Firehawk. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about her today because there's not a lot that we know about her um, 
I really wanted to focus in on the quote-unquote classic Firehawk. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of go over her origin and talk about sort of just her history. I, I realized last night when I was doing some of the research on this, there's like no one single place you can go on the Internet to read all about Firehawk. Like her Wikipedia page, which, by the way, one of y'all matchheads needs to get on and build for me, please. It's uh, <laughs> like for real. I mean, why, it's, you know, wait, why do they have to do it for you? Why don't you do it? I run a whole damn site, okay? okay. You know, I do All my right. part for the okay. Firestorm universe. Right. One of you lazy match heads need to get off your little cyber butts and start with the key in. You're quite inspiring. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm such, a, such a cheerleader for, for poor people. children. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm getting to is, like, her entry is listed literally under – she didn't even have her own page. She's part of the, like, minor DC character list. Ouch. Yeah, I know. Now, if you go over to the DC wiki, she does have a more fleshed out entry. But even that, like, just sort of stops. It's like someone was writing it and they just got tired and took a nap <laughs> and finished. So. Uh, I apologize. I got sleepy. Right. <laughs> it's not your fault. You were reading Invasion. It was just you were done. So I, I never did that. <laughs> so, when the character first premiered, she goes all the way back to Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man from 1982. She appeared in the very first issue. Did she really? And, I didn't know yeah, that. She, did. she in fact she was around for seventeen or something like sixteen or seventeen issues as Lorraine Riley, not as Firehawk. So she was around for, you know, like a good year and a half as a supporting character before she ever became Firehawk. And her role was sort of to be a little bit of a romantic interest for Firestorm. She was this uh young young college student who had a try. I don't want to say she was a troubled student. Well, that's, that's where I'm struggling because she wasn't a troubled student, but she got kicked out of school a lot. Well, that's she a troubled a, student, Jack. I guess by <laughs> definition, but she's like the daughter of a U.S. senator. It's not like she's living on the mean streets of America, though. Oh, but that's troubled, though. You can't okay. stay in school. I mean, really. Okay, fine. So she's a troubled student, but she's the, she's the daughter of a U.S. senator and keeps getting kicked out of really fancy boarding schools. <laughs> okay. Because it's just it's not her style. And so by the time we meet her, she has been kicked out of another school. And she's back visiting her dad, um, Senator Walter Riley. And he gets caught up in a situation with Black Bison. <laughs> okay. Why must you laugh at Black Bison? Uh, there's just something funny about the idea of like a senator being – I'm, I'm popping in the, the, the faces of real-life senators getting caught up with a bad guy named Black Bison. <laughs> well, what happens is there's a natural history uh, – like an, uh, an American history museum that he's involved with that has a lot of Native American artifacts. And Black Bison – wishes to reclaim them, and uh, it gets Walter Riley involved, it gets Lorraine involved, and Firestorm has to save them both. So that's how Firestorm and Lorraine meet. She immediately starts crushing on him because, you know, well, it's, he's cool, he's, you know, he's a big superhero, she's, you know, a, a tr troubled teen, if you will, and, and it's, you know, it's the 80s. So, of course, she's going to have a crush on him. So that's where they meet, and this, this sort of continues. They bump into each other a lot, like uh, Pied Piper ends up coming after the senator as well because he's a collector of antiquities, and he has, uh, I want to say it was Pan's actual flute. And, uh, <laughs> and so Pied Piper comes after that, and so, you know, again, Lorraine Riley gets involved and fires from her meet. And so they keep bumping into each other, and Ronnie's really into her, and he's like, you know, hey, this is cool because he's got this other girlfriend because he's a high school kid, and here's this college girl that's interested in him. Meanwhile, his high school girlfriend... Uh, Doreen Day is a terrible, terrible, terrible person. <laughs> I can't stand that girl. I, I know. I'm constantly charmed by how much you hate. <laughs> <laughs> you really? You, 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 
generally trying to find the positive side of things, but every time she comes up, you just you hate on her so bad. She just treated Ronnie so crappy. Uh, now, it, Ronnie didn't help himself any. But he, he treated her pretty crappy. You're just a perfect example. He's got this girlfriend in high school, and he's <laughs> skating around as a superhero with a college girl. So it's not that Ronnie was helping himself. But, in fact, actually, you should go out to uh, – there's a guy named John who, who's a fan of Firestorm. He, he runs a Fizzit Fazam blog. You can find a link to it. He does a whole series of posts called uh, about, about Ronnie's romantic life. Mm-hmm. And they're all hysterical, just all the bad – choices he makes. Firehawk's <laughs> featured in quite a few. So anyway, so she's she keeps appearing throughout the, the first sixteen or so episodes, or issues of the comic. And then her father, again, it's always the senator's fault. He is getting pressured by uh, a businessman named Henry Hewitt. He's getting pressured to vote for a certain energy bill that would give Henry Hewitt a monopoly uh, in, in research into nuclear power. Well the senator says no, I'm not voting for it. Well, Hewitt decides to take things in his own hands, and he hires Multiplex, a very you know frequent Firestorm villain. He hires Multiplex to kidnap Lorraine. Always a good idea. Well, he's going to blackmail the senator. He says, vote for my bill. Your daughter's going to get it. I'm just saying hiring Multiplex. It's just, well, it's just true, yeah. true. Well, he takes it a step further. He doesn't just hire her to blackmail Henry Hewitt. He decides to experiment on her. <laughs> and the goal is he, what he wants to do is – because he's an invalid himself. Henry Hewitt is. He wants to recreate – the explosion that gave Firestorm his powers so he can give them to himself. <laughs> Great plan. Right, exactly. So he sells Multiplex, you know, go figure this out, you know, make me into a Firestorm, you know, experiment on her first because I don't want to be the guinea pig. So Multiplex experiments on her. They brainwash her in like a sensory deprivation chamber. It's really sad. They totally screw her up. She's like totally whacked. And by the end of it, you know, the experiment's somewhat successful. They're not able to reproduce Firestorm's powers exactly, but she does become a, nu- a nuclear-powered hero, and I'll talk about her powers in just a bit. And uh, she's totally brainwashed, and she ends up fighting Firestorm. So if they battle. Firestorm is able to defeat her, and when she's knocked unconscious, she actually reverts back to Lorraine. And he's like, oh, my gosh, it's Lorraine a lot? Riley. You know, he's freaking out. So uh, her personality does revert, and she gets all her memories back. She realizes who she was and what has happened to her. And they go battle Henry Hewitt, who has now also subjected himself to uh, a nuclear explosion-y type thingamabobber. And he has – you like that? That's, that's actually a technical term. It's a technical term. You have to be a physicist to understand these things. But he has now been transformed into the superpowered Tokamak, who um, – they have a big battle, and in the end, she's actually uh, integral in the defeat of Tokamak, which uh, – in rupturing his suit, she overpowers, sends too much power at him, ruptures his suit, and he dies. So Aww. she's – well, you know what? You only feel so bad for the bad guys up to a point. Yeah. So, And uh, so, so that was kind of her introduction. Um, she went from being a reoccurring love interest to being now a superpowered reoccurring love interest. Now, her, her powers are – um, she has the ability to transform back and forth into Firehawk. She can be like regular Lorraine Riley. She still has access to her powers, I believe, when she's Lorraine. But she does a big fazam kind of thing. And when she transforms, she you know she's on on fire. Her hair is fire. She has fiery, really cool sort of fiery, feathery wings that look really great. And um, you know she's got a super suit, which is her initial super suit is almost identical to Firestorm's. It's just done in like pink and yellow rather than red and yellow. And so it's um. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. She can also generate a tremendous amount of heat. She can shoot blasts of heat or walk by things and they can catch on fire if she wants them to. <laughs> Not, I, I think she can control that to some degree. It just sounds funny. She can walk by things and burst them into flames. It sounds like a, uh, like a mid-'80s uh, rock video. 
<laughs> girls would always do that. They were walking That's by true. things and bursting them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so here she was, a superhero, and you know, as any girl superhero would do, that's sort of a, a mimic of her of the of the character she follows around. She became a recurring character in the series. Now, it, this I, I should mention, by the way, all these early appearances were drawn by Pat Broderick. So you know you're getting some awesome, awesome art on her. You know she looked great from beginning to end. And um, that, that initial costume, I'm not a huge fan of the initial costume, but you still can recognize how it's cool, it's iconic. It's, you know, being under Pat's pencils is pretty sexy. Um, I feel like she came into her own more under the hands of Raphael Kayanin. He sort of took the design that Pat Broderick had used and softened it, like where she had sort of, I don't want to say sharp, jagged hair, but she had very, like, hostile flames. Her hair, you know, the flames of the original Firehawk were sort of, like, almost angry flames. By the time Raphael Kayanin came on, they were, like, soft and smooth, and it looked like long, flowing hair, and a lot of the rougher edges were smoothed out. So he did a really nice job on her. And uh, this is kind of where she didn't really come into her own. I think I maybe just said she did, but she didn't really come into her own because she was always... She only came out to play with Firestorm. It's not like she was off saving the day and would show up in Omega Men or something else at the time. She was really would only come out when Firestorm was there. Then in 1985, the crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and she sort of gave her a bigger picture of everything. I talked a little. I, I covered an issue not too long ago during Crisis uh, here on this show, where she was featured prominently. It gave her a bigger picture, and she started seeing that this was more than just a fun gig to hang out with Firestorm, she saw it more as a role of being a hero. So she began appearing more and more at this point and in big crossovers. Now, i got to mention, um, there's one thing that leaves all Firestorm Firehawk fans scratching their head. And, in fact, Tom Zaler, did I say it right? Tom Zoller. Damn it! Tom Zoller and I. It's so hard for you to remember these things. I'm terrible with pronunciations. Anyway, Tom Zoller and I were actually emailing back and forth about this one night. It's just... There's a scene in Crisis of Infinite Earths, which makes no sense, where Firehawk gains Firestorm's powers for, like, three panels. <laughs> okay. She, uh, during a battle, her costume gets trashed. Right, right, and, right. And I mean, everyone remembers it, because it, it, it's in Crisis, and everyone's read Crisis, like, 18 times, so they all remember. Her costume gets trashed, and she uses her, uh, quote-unquote, you know, like, atomic restructuring powers, or whatever she said, to create a new costume for herself. And that's where she gets her first new costume, where she goes from her original pink and yellow costume to the amazing, amazing blue and orange costume that just looks awesome that Raphael Cayenne designed. The thing is, she doesn't have atomic restructuring powers. <laughs> that's Firestorm's gig. He has atomic restructuring powers. <laughs> And there's been all kinds of retconning and scratching of heads and stuff. I mean, clearly what it was is that Marv Wolfman didn't realize that Firestorm and Firehawk had different powers. Yes, power. Marv Wolfman was just putting out so many fires writing that book. That <laughs> right, I mean, he's writing, what, two Teen Titans books, Crisis and Infinite Earths. I mean, the man was you know, stretched beyond yeah. any realistic uh, ability. So <laughs> I'm certainly not going to fault him for two or three panels in Crisis. Heck, he got Firehawk mentioned. I'll take that. So, uh, you know, the retcon in me has done this, you know, said that, okay, if she can just instantly transform into Firehawk, where's that, pow where's that power coming from? You know, it sounds like she has the ability to alter her appearance. So, therefore, I retcon that she doesn't have atomic restructuring powers, but she can alter her appearance, therefore she can alter her costume at will as well. There you go. Good job. So, I get, I get a no prize award. Absolutely. <laughs> you get the Roy Thomas award, as we mentioned earlier. Exactly, exactly. 
So she she was a recurring character in Firestorm, you know, all the way from '85 forward. She would show up in other crossovers. Uh, so she she stretched beyond just the Firestorm book. She was an in invasion. Um, she was in a few of the other ones. Now around this time, there were a bunch of rumors about not rumors, but maybe fan fan desire. Maybe is a better way to put it for her to appear as a member of the Justice League. And I heard this from a lot of different places. Unfortunately, I cannot track down where I remember hearing this from. But I remember hearing a lot about people saying... Were they in letters that you wrote, Jay? Maybe there were the letters I wrote. I don't know. <laughs> but there was a lot of talk about her joining the Justice League. And I, like, I always thought that would be a great idea. Mm-hmm. She would be a great Justice League member without Firestorm there. Sort of like what I was just saying about Mara. Right. I think Firehawk... She, she needs more of a spotlight for herself. Because she always is sort of just Firestorm's partner. So giving her on the team, so she doesn't have to carry a whole book herself, but being part of the team, she'd be great. She's extraordinarily powerful. She's got the heroic aspect down. It's a, fe- a strong female character. It, it would be a win-win. So I, I, to this day, I still think she'd be great on the Justice League. She would have been great to bring in again during the Detroit League because they needed some boosting of powers and stuff. So she would have been, you know, she, that would have been great to bring her in there. I think she would have done well as a... Um, part of the Justice League International, the goofy years even, mm-hmm. she could have been a little more like Hawkman was, sort of like, will you guys please be serious? <laughs> you know, she wouldn't have been a goofy one. She would have been more like, come on, let's get it together. So, and you know, I mean, by this point, her troubled teen stuff really didn't play a role anymore. I mean, she was always feisty, you know, but, uh, or fiery, if you will. But she, uh, the troubled teen, she wasn't like rebelling at all at any point. So I think she would have been more of the straight-laced member of the Justice League. So Yeah, visually, I agree. I, think, I thought that second costume was much more compelling. I love the colors. The blue and the orange contrasting colors is always good. I, yeah, I think that was a, a great-looking suit. Well, it was asymmetrical, too. I mean, it had this giant hawk coming in from her right-hand side across the chest, and it was it's just really sharp. It, it was a huge departure from Firestorm's look, mm-hmm. which was which was needed for her to look, you know, her own part. I mean, that her hair changed colors. So, I mean, again, this is where I think she has the ability to control her appearance, because you know her hair used to be you know whatever it was fire colored now it's white, so you got you got to explain that somehow. <laughs> Has she ever appeared in anything outside of the comics? No, she was never in Brave and the Bold, and she certainly wasn't in Super Friends, Galactic Guardians, right? Eighteen other subtitle shows. Um, so she so she's never made an appearance anywhere. No, she would have been great in Brave and the Bold, actually. Yes, uh, that would have been I mean, that would have been a. She would have had a kind of a fun, goofy look, you know. That would now I, I never really considered that until you mentioned that she would have been great in that. So now, I mean, she I, I've never seen a sticker, a T-shirt, and anything with her. Hmm. I'm trying to think now. Someone's probably going to write and go, "No, she appeared." Da, 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 but I, <laughs> I really can't remember. I love your nerd voice. I mean, your other nerd voice. <laughs> that oh wow, Thank you. that was you, you structured that really well. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you. So, uh, even, even at this point, even though I say she was into, uh, came into her own, she didn't even really appear without Firestorm that often. I mean, she made – during this period I'm about to cover, she appeared in a couple of places still within comics. But I mean, like she'd appear in an issue of Suicide Squad or War of the Gods or Superman, Superboy and the Ravers, <laughs> Starman, Chase. So she appeared in little places, but yeah, never, never outside of uh, the comics and usually as an, uh, as an adjunct to another character. Right. So. I mean, she did get her own listing in Who's Who, as we yep. covered, and she did get her own listing in the, those those DK books, like the History of the DC. I forget what the name of that book they're called, but you know, those those Who's Who esque um, yeah. 
the uh, encyclopedias. The ultimate guides. Ultimate guides. Now, the picture they used in that thing is the same picture from Who's Who, so they just repurposed it. But she did, you know, they... they Wait, uh, you're talking about the DC... Oh, you're talking about the DC encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was thinking of the DK uh, Ultimate Guidebooks. Never oh, okay. mind, I'm with okay. you now. Yeah, she appears that in that sense. It's the same artwork, but she didn't get her own listing. And mm-hmm. she does appear in um, a trading card set. Um, yep. I don't, so she did She did get an appearance there. So they were, you know, they were at least trying to build her up a little bit. Thank you. You know, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, she did appear in other places. Um, not in any, I, I'm sorry, merchandise. I do, you're right. There were trading cards. She also appeared as a hero click. Um, well, I, I was about asking that. about specifically like a TV show. So you were right, right. that she never appeared in any TV shows. But I said she was never on a T-shirt or anything oh, okay. like that. So, yeah, I forgot. She did have a hero click, and she did appear on trading cards and stuff. So she, she there was that. So Now, around 1987, Firestorm started going through some pretty big changes. Uh, he was no longer Ronnie Raymond or Professor Stein. He became uh, what I call the blank slate era, which was Firestorm was sort of a blank template. He had no real personality, no real uh, ego, if you will. And Ronnie Raymond and... Mikhail Arkadin were Firestorm in the background. They were sort of trapped inside Firestorm and would give advice to this new blank slate Firestorm. So during that era, Lorraine Riley and Ronnie Raymond actually developed a romantic connection. Like they had always been sort of like danced around or they'd kiss a little bit, but it was never like full on, this is my girlfriend. They were like, they hung out together more and were just interested in each other. This was full on Ronnie and Lorraine were dating. Okay. And uh, that was, you know, sort of like the the only time I think that the relationship was ever really serious because it went, even when it was Firestorm and Lorraine, it was never I mean, Firestorm and Firehawk. It wasn't even like Ronnie and Lorraine. It was Firestorm and Firehawk, which had to be sort of awkward for Professor Stein because, you know, here's Ronnie as Firestorm making out with Lorraine. And what's the professor? I mean, Professor's this, you know, 50-year-old guy. What's he like just turn his back? Like, oh, I can't watch this. Or something. I guess it's like what happens when Siamese twins try to have sex. <laughs> I guess so. It's like, okay, not, not, you know, I'm in my happy place. I'm in my happy place. You know, or whatever. I so. always assume that, that in that, not that they recovered it, but like, that like Martin Stein could like go to sleep, <laughs> you know, just kind of go to sleep and then, you know, wake up, wake me up when it's over, literally. <laughs> But the other side of it, though, if you think about it, I mean, he's a man, too, and he's equally part of Firestorm. I mean, it's not like Firestorm's running, oh, by the way, Professor Stein's there. I mean, Professor Stein's an integral part of being Firestorm. Right. So, I mean, you know, maybe he should not sleep all during All right, all right, all right. We've, this, <laughs> oh, damn it. This, this tour down voyeurism and needs to stop. So, <laughs> all right. Then in um, – so Ronnie and Lorraine were together. Then in 1989, Firestorm went through another big change. Uh, he became the elemental Firestorm. And this was a very different incarnation of Firestorm, where rather than transforming back and forth between Firestorm and their human personas, the Elemental Firestorm was a merger of Ronnie Raymond, Mikhail Arkadin, the Fire Elemental, and, and then this other Russian clone. It's a little complicated, but when, when all four of them merged together, they stayed the Elemental Firestorm forever. There was no – well, not forever, but I mean they stayed the Elemental Firestorm. They did not transform back and forth between their human personas, and the human personas were completely gone. I mean that was one – Gestalt being, and who was very um, you know distant, very cold. It, it wasn't Ronnie at all. So Ronnie literally was gone, and this left Ronnie's parents all torn up. It left Lorraine all torn up. Everyone was sort of just you know they they wanted Ronnie back, and they couldn't have him. So she became a she was continued to be a supporting character in Firestorm at that point, and she sort of would face off against the Elemental Firestorm when he sort of went over the top where he wanted you know destroy the Earth in a blaze of fire which he was capable of doing. Uh, 
she would sort of question him. He can force him to question his actions. They, you know, sometimes they fought. Sometimes they, he'd try and kiss her, and she'd be like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> that kind of thing. So then uh, she took a. So then that that's what was going on as Firehawk as Lorraine. She took a job working for the Institute of Metahuman Studies, which was. <laughs> what are you laughing at? The, the I name? just I, I like the, I just I've always laughed at like. The idea that in the DC universe you can have all these government-funded things that, like, if you tried to do it in the real world, people would just go crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this was a spinoff of the Suicide Squad anyway. So, in fact, um, if you, those of you who read the old Suicide Squad, Simon Legreve, who used to be, like, I think the, the medical doctor. <laughs> Great name. I know. For the Suicide Squad, was now heading up the Institute for Metahuman Studies. And so she took a role there to sort of keep an eye on it. But also allowed her as a, as a supporting character to have a role in the, in the series, and they were connected with it. You'll, you'll like this: the Institute for Metahuman Studies. I'm going to say that as many times as I can in this. But <laughs> they were connected to the Captains of Industry, which was a superhero team specifically funded by the Sunderland Corporation. If that ah, rings a bell, Sunderland, yes, from Alan Moore Swamp. Then, yes. so because John Ostringer brought that back into this era of Firestorm because there was an elemental sort of the connection. By the way, all these were being drawn by Tom Mandrake. So I mean. I gotta say, Firehawk has been blessed with some. It's just same, obviously, same as Firestorm. Been blessed with some awesome artwork. So yes. So she was. That was her role as Lorraine at that point. Then by 1990, uh, the Elemental changes from what its existence to being Martin Stein, and Ronnie is released from the Elemental. He is human again. He no longer has any powers, and he is free. And in Firestorm number 100, the end of the series ends with Lorraine and Ronnie looking like they're going to be a couple from now on. So it looks like they're finally going to be able to be together without superheroes getting in the way. And that's how that ended. And neither one of them were seen again for five years. Just done. Disappear. Poof. Gone. Um, I, I, well, they may. she may have appeared in War of the Gods. Okay. That, I guess that sort of counts. But not really. <laughs> I mean, come on, really. What? No one really counts War of the Gods. <laughs> so, uh, then in 1985, when Ronnie shows back up with Extreme Justice, he's single. So at some point there, that relationship fizzled out. So Firehawk is no longer with Firestorm. And at this point, she goes through a series of years where she is defined solely by her romantic relationship. So in 1995, her and Ronnie are together. So at some point they broke up. Now she shows up in 1998. She ends up being Booster Gold's girlfriend. <laughs> okay. She, I know. She showed up actually in an issue of the Chase series. Remember Chase? I she showed up in no that. No memory of that at all. Okay. Well, she showed up. She was going to try out for the Teen Titans, which makes no sense to me, given that she's a post-college grad, why she's trying out for the Teen Titans, which were very much the Teen Titans at this point. It was Jurgen's uh, Teen Titans team that was led by, like, the de-aged Adam, so, which, by the way, is a cool series, but I just don't saying she has no business being on that team. So she shows up, and she becomes smitten with Booster Gold, who also shows up. And they, uh, they become – they start dating, and they date for a few years. And, in fact, they become a duo known as the Red and the Gold. <laughs> so this is after, you know, Booster and Beetle have sort of split up. So the media dubs them the Red and the Gold, which, which is weird because she wasn't even wearing red. So I don't – whatever. She's blue also. She could, it could have been the blue and the gold there too. Anyway, so they're seen a few different times uh, through the year 2000s dating. So then by 2003, we see Booster, and we don't see you know, her at all, but by 2003, we see Booster, and he's already moved on. So clearly their relationship only lasted a couple of years. Then here's a, a, a part where I'm a little blurry, and I don't know if any of the fans can help me out with this. It's not that I don't know. I just can't piece these pieces together in a logical sense of order. Now, Rob's just going to have to bite his tongue for a few moments because 
I can't deny the existence of this. It happened, so just accept it. In 2004, she was a supporting character in the Identity Crisis miniseries. Rob's tongue is bleeding. He's biting his own No idea what you're talking about. So. Right. Well, just pretend that you've never heard of it. Okay. It was a miniseries. I, I, it was I haven't issues. heard of it. <laughs> it was drawn by Rags Morales. So, again, beautiful artwork. And there is an entire issue where Firehawk is hanging out with uh, Elongated Man and having just a conversation about Elongated Man and Sue. You can stop there, Rob. How's that? Hmm? So oh, Okay, yep. <laughs> uh, and so it's kind of cool. She got featured in a major DC crossover in a big, big way. She got to just hang out and chat. It was her, her, was her job with Elongated Man. Her job was to keep him busy while Sue was planning a party. It's kind of cool that the Super the Justice League asked her to do that, I guess. Now, here's where my confusion comes in, is that around the same time, we're told that she has retired from Super Heroics. We find that out in the Firestorm series in 2004, around issue 8 or 9, when she meets Jason Rush. Um, Ronnie's parents actually ask her to go investigate. They say, could you find out about this new Firestorm? We don't understand what's happened to Ronnie. Ronnie's disappeared because this is when Ronnie dies. So she says she's retired from superheroic. So I can't piece this together because we see her in 2000 as Firehawk. We see her in 2004 as Firehawk and Identity Crisis. A little later in 2004, we see her as Firehawk, and she says she's retired from being a superhero, so I don't understand how she was in an identity crisis as Firehawk. I can understand if she had retired from 2000 to 2004, but I don't get – the order of sequence doesn't work for me. So if someone can help, that would be awesome. So <laughs> She starts being Firehawk. I can't sleep. Yeah, It's that and the atomic restructuring power she has. So um, once she meets Jason, she starts being Firehawk a little bit more. At this point, she actually um, – begins to run to be a, a U.S. senator. So Lorraine Riley is going to be a U.S. senator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she wins. Well, remember, her father was. Right. So but, I mean, well. She basically, gonna, takes his, she basically takes his seat. I was just about to say, we don't elect senators just based on the fact that you were a, a parent of a – your parent was a senator. But I realized, yes, we do. So I was going to say, oh, hell, yes, we do. <laughs> That's actually totally realistic. So I, I withdraw my earlier criticism. <laughs> so um, – about this time, Infinite Crisis happens, and uh, while she's running during in the 52 series, she joins the one-issue Justice League <laughs> that uh, Jason Rush put together, which featured – which everything went horribly, horribly wrong. And uh, all they had Super Chief and the Bulleteer and an Ambush Bug <laughs> and Firehawk. I mean – it was a joke. It was intended to be. Yes, I and think we could tell it, by the lineup that it was meant to yeah, be. Yeah, and it all went wrong, and a lot of people died. And the, the crazy thing is the only person on that team that had been in the Justice and they don't mention this, but the only person on the team who had been a member of the Justice League before then was Professor Stein. <laughs> you know, so anyway, she sort of served as the voice of reason throughout that uh, one issue. Like she kept – she actually should have been the team leader, not Firestorm. So she becomes – after that, Super becomes, Chief should have been the leader. His name is Chief. It's true. He was kind of a boss. He's pretty cool looking too. So she succeeds in winning her seat at the Senate. She becomes a senator. And at this point, we get into what I, that, that trade I plugged earlier on the show, the Firestorm, the nuclear man trade with Jason where he comes into his own. And this is where Jason truly comes into his own. And something has happened. Professor Stein has been kidding. This is a, remember when uh, Infinite Crisis jumped forward one year? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is when that happens. This jumps forward one year, so you're sort of scratching your head like, what has happened to Firestorm? It's so different now. Because when we left, it was Jason and the Professor. Now they jump forward one year, and it's actually Jason and Lorraine Riley now combined to form Firestorm, okay. which is pretty cool. So she has gone from being a romantic supporting character to being a romantically linked partner to being um, you know, sort of 
an antagonist for Firestorm for a little while in the elemental phase to being, again, romantic interest to now being part of Firestorm. So crazy career this girl's had with Firestorm. So, uh, so she is actually part of Firestorm. Her and Jason form. Uh, there's actually even a shtick for a while there where they can't even be very far apart physically. If they're far apart physically, it causes a huge explosion. So uh, it's, it's, it was kind of an interesting plot where they, they had to be connected. Because here she is, this 30-year-old-plus you know, U.S. senator is sort of saddled with this you know, freshman in college. And they, they, they can't be far apart from each other. And she does, she, she's got crap to do. She wants to go be a senator. She doesn't want to go off and fight supervillains. But Jason's like, come on, we got to go. So it was kind of a cool period of time. Now, one of the interesting things there, she was also Firehawk on her own. So when her and Jason didn't form Firestorm, she could still become Firehawk on her own. So she was actually two superheroes at one point. And <laughs> she changed her – She changed her. You, might, you laugh, but actually – and I'm, maybe I'm spinning it too funny, but it was good. It was really good. So I, I can't recommend that trade enough. It was really fun. And she, she changed her costume again at this point. She became – it's still a blue and orange kind of costume, but it's um, – and I think it's designed nicely, but I, I like the classic one better. It, this one's a little more symmetrical, and also she's become a little more pixie-like. She's got like short hair and pointed ears. I don't know where the pointed ears come from. That kind of freaks people out a bit. But so I mean, she still looks cool and still looks like Firehawk, but she looks a little bit different. New costume there, you know, a bit of a fashion show going on. So eventually, she she frees herself from the Firestorm Matrix when Professor Stein returns, and she continues to be a supporting cast member all the way through the end of that series. Uh, Tokamak come, actually comes back, the guy who was responsible for creating her as Firestorm, uh, Firehawk. She comes back, he comes back, and they have to battle. And that brainwashing he did all those years ago plays a role. And then this is pretty much where it wraps up. I mean, she she appeared through the end of Firestorm, the 2004 series that went to 2007 or 8, I think. She had a couple of cameos in Final Crisis and in James Robinson's. Uh, I call him the Junior Justice League, but that's when it was all the you know the 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 analogs of the main characters. Right, like you had Donna right, Troy right. Instead of Wonder Woman, you had uh, uh, Supergirl instead of Superman. All that stuff. She she had like a couple cameos there. Now, I always wanted to like after post bright Blackest Night in Brightest Day, I always wanted her to interact with Ronnie because here they were you know they were romantically linked for a long time. Now he had been de-aged back to early college age, and she was a thirty plus senator. Would have been interesting for them to, you know, just meet and chat and be like, you know, so where do we go from here, kind of thing. But so she, rather than going out with a bang, she went out with a fizzle. Oh, yeah. So, but you know, if you really want to read some of the best moments of Firehawk, go back and pick up those early, you know, uh, issues from like maybe seventeen forward uh, up through the the probably the forties of the original Firestorm series, and then come back and start picking up the Jason Rush series from that trade paperback I mentioned. Those are really probably some of the best Firehawk stories. Okay. There you go. She's an awesome character. Um, again, I think uh, both her and Mary would be cool in the Justice League on their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as long as Aquaman is going to be out of the team, I mean, why not, you know, why not throw in some, I mean, the new 50, you got all these characters to use from the new 52 that you either have around or haven't reintroduced yet, so why not? You know, I actually read some fanfic. Oh, first boy. from. Well, I mean, I didn't say Slash. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Dur- during that era where Firestorm just was nowhere, during not publishing anything with him, um, I was desperate, so I found on the, on the interweb some fanfic of Firestorm. And during that period, someone had written a Justice League fanfic as well. Like, there was this whole network of fanfic. They had their own little micro-universe with continuity and stuff. Anyway, Firehawk was part of the Justice League in that. That's kind of what really got me jonesing on that. So. Yeah, it could, I mean, anyway. it could work. 
So, folks, um, that is going to wrap up our Valentine's Day episode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're not going to do listener feedback this time. We're going to save that for an upcoming episode. I think you guys uh, – Thank you, as always, for sending your cards and letters. You can send those to uh, stop by and leave comments on the Firestorm fan site or the Aquaman Shrine site. You can hit us up on the social medias. We're both on Facebook and Twitter at the same handles. Uh, you can find Firestorm's fan also on Google Plus and Tumblr. And you can, uh, Rob, what's... You can email. Oh, I'm sorry. I was jumping ahead. You no, can, I, was you can... gonna, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, you can email us at firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Yep, and we'll put up some uh, cool images of Firehawk and Mara out on the Tumblr, so be sure to visit that. Tumblr's kind of a cool thing. If you, it if you is. Don't it's there, a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. It's amazing, and, it, and it's always a quick thing. Like, if you're in a hurry, Tumblr is a great place to just go out there and check it out. Like, if you look at either the Fire and Water podcast Tumblr or the Firestorm Tumblr, you know, I reblog, at least on the Firestorm one, I reblog a lot of other people's Firestorm stuff, so it's like a shot of Firestorm you may never see that I don't post anywhere else. Now, I will say this. If you're going to visit Tumblr, be careful who you follow <laughs> and might not want to just randomly go out there at work. Just saying. <laughs> yes, some things can pop up, uh, literally. Yes, literally. So, anyway. <laughs> uh, can I just say before we wrap this episode up that uh, I, I think we should take it as a personal victory that we did an entire show focusing on women, women characters and you never said she's hot at any point. I would like to lie and say that was my goal from the beginning. No, I know it wasn't your goal. <laughs> Absolutely wasn't my Obviously, I'm tired or not feeling well. So, Because I will say, both Firehawk and Mara are extraordinarily hot. Firehawk, quite literally, temperature-wise. <laughs> anyway, that's a good place to end on an upbeat note. Uh, <laughs> uh, so everybody, thanks for listening. You can uh, fan the flame and ride the wave, and we'll catch you later. Bye, folks. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman for friends forever. Yeah! Whoa, I feel like I got clobbered by a hammerhead. It's worse than you think. My family, you fiend! Release them at once or I'll... Silence, you waterlogged whelp! As I was explaining to Batman, my umbrella drones will fan out over the city and spray enough paralytic gas to render all its denizens unconscious. With one touch of this button, thousands of my umbrella rockets will launch from these tubes on parabolic trajectories over every... It's my fault we're in this mess. I failed you both. It's okay, Dad. Maybe vacations aren't for people like us. Who needs them when you love your job? And you do love your job almost as much as I love you.